Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Well, here we are in our series talking about enjoying Jesus through streams of grace, through streams of God's grace. The idea that grace is God's to give, certainly when He pleases and how He pleases, but God, and and that the fact that we cannot twist God's arm to get it, but the fact that God has promised to give His grace more regularly and consistently in certain streams. And so we are called... And certainly if we are wise, we will place ourselves alongside these streams. I think of sycamore trees. They usually grow uh, next to streams of water and they grow huge. They're big. Sometimes these trees are rather annoying with their huge leaves and their big poofball things, you know, that fall on seeds and they go everywhere. But they grow enormous as they live next to streams of water. The streams we are talking about, if they're not apparent already, is His voice. Primarily the Scriptures. Second of all, His ear. That's where we're at today, thinking about prayer. And third, we'll be looking at, in July, His body the community of the church, the fellowship of the saints, the importance of the stream of grace that is His corporate body. And so we've talked about His voice, and now we're looking at prayer as a means of His grace and enjoying Christ. I'll continue next week with with prayer. Uh, And then in the month of July, Pastor Rusty uh, and probably a guest preacher will finish off uh, most of this series uh, next month, um, by God's grace, with the support and encouragement of Rusty and Greg, I'm going to take an extended period of rest uh, in the month of July. Um, I'll be here most Sundays, but we'll be holding uh, no office hours. Um, the pastors Rusty will be in the office like normal. So if you need anything, please let Pastor Rusty or Pastor Greg uh, know, Okay. <laughs> Uh, don't, there is, I just want to say this, there is nothing wrong, nothing bad, nothing, uh, like that. Um, it's just called 14 years of pastoral ministry, uh, and eight years here. Uh, and so, uh, I'm going to take kind of an extended vacation, uh, in the month of, uh, July. So, uh, we'll be around, um, I'll probably... I've been wanting to go visit a couple other churches in the area, so I might uh, swing in there and to some pastor friends of mine and um, I'll probably go to Refuge uh, for a week in there somewhere and, and bug John and critique his sermon uh, afterwards. And, and uh, uh, so anyways, just want to encourage your hearts. It's just, uh, it's kind of like when uh, um, we send military guys on 
long deployments, right? When they come back, they get a time of rest. Uh, and pastors very much are on the front line of uh, spiritual warfare. And uh, eight years has been plenty of spiritual warfare uh, for me and for my family, too. So we'll have some time of rest and come back raring to go in August. We'll finish up this series. Uh, and then um, uh, after that, we're going to probably do a three or four week series on the church. And we try to each fall kind of refresh um, some of our core values and, and such as a church. And, and then so probably September-ish, we'll settle back into a book of the Bible and, and our comfort zone uh, working through books of the Bible. I'm I'm enjoying this series, but it is rather uncomfortable for me, uh, just for the record. Uh, Like not knowing where, you know, I mean, I know where we're going to be next week and the next week. It's all planned out, but it's still like there's just something about, okay, here's the next verses. What are we going to do with it? Uh, And that's so much more uh, enjoyable and more comfortable. So at least for me. Uh, So there you go. When, let me start with this question. When you pray, when you pray, when you talk to God, do you pray as though you have, now now listen, listen to every word I say. Do you pray as though you have the ear of Almighty God? Do you pray as though you have the ear of, of Almighty God. That the creator of the universe has knelt down and turned his listening ear toward you. So now for a second, let's talk about maybe some practicals for you to think through. Is that how I pray? So do you pray enough? Meaning, do you pray often enough that says, I believe I have the ear of Almighty God? Now think about that for a second. You have the ear of the all-wise, all-glorious, all-powerful, all-loving, the one whose will always takes place, the one who does everything for the good of his kids. So do you pray like you believe that? Like that's a reality. Do you, let me ask you another question. Do you pray reverently as though you believe you have the ear of Almighty God? As though you know whose ear you actually have? One of the closest things I can say that kind of relate to this is <clears throat> preaching. That we, that I each week would dare to stand before you and give you what I believe to be God's words. Like the weightiness of that is incredible. And so the weightiness of who we're speaking to. Do you 
Next question, do you call on his name, though? So kind of this is like in juxtaposition to praying reverently, praying enough, but do you call on him like a genie in a bottle to get what you perceive you need in this moment? Another question, do you enjoy conversing with the Lord? Do you enjoy conversing with the Lord. And I did say conversing for a reason, because it is a two-way conversation. It's just that he does 99.99999% of his talking through the Scriptures. And there's a connectedness that we're going to talk about today. There's a connectedness between the extent to which we value and treasure his voice and his word and the quality and intimacy of our speaking in His ear. People who have shallow prayers have shallow understandings of His voice in His Word. People who lack intimacy in praying, there's usually, if not always, a lack of intimacy and knowledge in hearing His voice in his scriptures. So do you enjoy your conversation with the Lord? See, I'm afraid that we don't understand the magnitude of the reality that for those whom God has redeemed, that God has stopped. He has stooped down and he listens to us. Let me ask you this, two scenarios. When you're idolizing something that you want, that you want so bad and you know you shouldn't, and it's ripping you apart or ripping apart people around you, and then you proceed to try and fix the problem yourself. Listen to me, why not stop, sit down for a second, and talk to the Lord because you believe you have the ear of Almighty God. The most powerful ear in the universe. The one who can always guarantee to do and accomplish what He sets out to do and accomplish. I mean, think about that. I don't like the situation. I'm going to go fix it. You have no guarantee of your ability to fix it. That's assuming you even know the right fix to it. But God knows the right way to fix it, and He has the guarantee to fix it. Now listen, to tie this backwards with what we've talked about, the less you want to hear His voice in His Word, the less you're going to want to pray. And certainly, the less you're going to pray rightly. Again, even in this context of I want to go fix something myself instead of stopping, sitting down, and talking to the Lord, most of the time we are just about our own business, right? Making spontaneous decisions. And we want to sprinkle Jesus on it. 
We want God to bless our way, our agenda, our plan. And we even a lot of times have ourselves convinced that we're actually doing His plan. But when we've not stopped to enjoy the streams of grace like His Scriptures, and in a a few weeks, the fellowship of the saints, then how do we know that we're even about the King's business? That when we ask Him to bless it, that we're asking Him to bless His business. That was one kind of scenario. The second one, much shorter. In those desperate times when life is hard, meaning there's suffering, whether it's the result of the consequences of your own sin or the consequences of someone else's or just the consequences of sin in general, meaning physical brokenness like cancer and such. And you proceed in the midst of this to try to muster up the strength. I was reading someone's blog on how they're dealing with anxiety. Actually, this morning I was reading it. And basically the gist was, I can deal with it because I know I'll be okay. And I just, as I read it, I just thought, this is not a follower of Jesus. As I read it, I thought, this might last you a hot second. But it's going to come crashing down again soon. Why not stop? Sit down for a second. Lean in and whisper in his ear, Lord, I need your I can't do this or anything else without you. Hebrews 7, verse 23 and 24 and 25 says this. The former priests were many in number because... They were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We can't do anything without you. Whether speaking or listening, we need your help. If we're going to talk about prayer, I think it's important that we begin here. God's listening to us must be understood in relation to our listening to Him in His Word. You can't talk about prayer until you talk about prayer as it relates to God's 
voice, how it relates to each other, how his ear and his voice relate to each other. This is why we started with speaking on his voice. Listen, anything that good, anything good that comes from us begins with the fact that God first spoke to us. I mean, just think about the, the, the big picture in the Scriptures. God spoke when He created. Right? God spoke when Adam and Eve started walking the earth. He spoke to them. He didn't have to. He could have just said, put them and gave them life and just sat back and watched. But instead, He speaks to them. God spoke when Adam and Eve sinned. Again, He could have just, oh, you sinned, here's the consequences, go on. But what's God do? He speaks to them. Now, He speaks to them at this point in the form of a curse, but nevertheless, a curse. But then He speaks to them in the form of a promise. Something will happen. God spoke when Abraham was called out to be God's people. Obviously, I'm skipping over a lot of Old Testament history here. But God spoke in His Son, Jesus. Most clearly, even, speaking in His Son, Jesus, who John says is the Word. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with us, and so on and so forth. But Jesus is said to be the Word. He is God's spoken voice in human form, walking, speaking, acting out the words of God. And God speaks to us through His Son, through the Word. And the crazy, to use a Mathesis word, wonder. The crazy wonder of it all is that God not only speaks and wants us to listen, but that in response to His speaking, He wants to hear our voice. God stops. He stoops. He listens. And He wants to hear from you. Notice in this passage, He has spoken concerning His ultimate priest. His name is Jesus. This priest that will live on, that will not be limited. His his term limit is not decided by death. Indeed, his term limit was decided when God overcame death in his son Jesus. This Savior has made a way and are drawing near to him. I want you to hear here's what I want you to hear, see, is that the Savior in God's speaking through his Savior has made a way that our, for our drawing near. And our drawing near then is a response to God's saving words. Practically, this also means that if you're going to pray, you should pray to God always, 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 always with the Scriptures guiding your words. Listen, because we always speak 
our speaking at its, let me, let me back up, our speaking to God at its very foundation is rooted in the idea that He has spoken first. Now think about that in a relational aspect. If I was to come to you and start telling you about something I was doing, or something I enjoyed or desired, and then you just stopped, like I stopped, and then you started, didn't acknowledge what I said, and just started talking about something else. How do you think that works relationally, right? What, what, what am I sitting there thinking? We're not communicating, that's right. Uh, did you hear anything that I just said? I mean, even trying to, try to teach my children, it's like we listen, right, and then we speak based upon what we've heard. This is not just good relational aspect, this is godly. This is the way it works with us in God. God spoke first. If you're wondering, well, then how do I speak to God in response to what He has spoken? Read your Bible and read it a lot, and you will know what God has said. And then you can respond to God in what He has said in your praying. See, listen, it, it's, it, you go, okay, well, where in the Bible does it say that I need to <clears throat> take this passage and I need to respond to it? You're not going to find that verse. You have to step back from the Scriptures for a second and look at the big picture. And that's what I tried to paint for you for just a second, is that our doings are always in response to God's speakings. God has spoken, and so man does. God has spoken, and so man speaks back. And so the pattern in our lives should be the same. I speak back to God. It's never me just speaking to God out of nowhere. I'm speaking back to God because He has spoken first. So what I want to do is I want to talk about prayer with these thoughts in mind, with that foundation in mind, that we don't speak as though... God has not spoken. We speak to someone who first spoke to us. The first thing I want you to, to do, even, is to draw near to His ear. I want to talk about swimming in the stream of His grace called prayer. Draw near to His ear. This is what prayer is functionally. Drawing near to God's ear. Now listen, prayers, if you're taking notes, you really need to write that one down. This is what prayer is functionally, drawing near to God's ear. Now prayer accomplishes lots of things, right? We believe prayer is effective. I'm not going to get into all of that, but most importantly though, good gospel-driven, word-informed prayer moves us closer to our Father. Let me say that again. Good, gospel-driven, word-informed prayer moves us closer to our Father. That's what I mean by prayer functionally moves us toward the ear of God. Listen, prayer, prayer is a physical act, right? I mean, it's a physical act, whether it's something you're speaking with your mouth or it's something that's physically happening up here in your mind. Prayer is a physical act. It's an act of the physical mind. 
It's an act of the physical mouth. But this act, what's it do? It takes our hearts, it takes our minds, it takes our eyes, it takes our attention. And when it's done because of the gospel, informed by the word, it moves us one step closer to our Lord, to his Ear. I mean, think about the visible picture I'm trying to paint, right? I, God's ear here, and I'm about whatever I want to be about. And, and then circumstances by God's sovereign decree make me stop for a second, and I go, Oh, God, I need you. It points our hope, it points our worship, it points our dependence toward the heart of God. Now again, not every prayer does that as we're going to see in a second. But true prayer, not just spouting off to God to get what you want. True prayer points our hope, our worship, our dependence towards the heart of God. Verse 25. Consequently, but this is a bad consequence, isn't it? He is able to save to the uttermost, what? Those who draw near to God through Him. Let's let's talk about this draw near to God through Him phrase. First of all, the idea of drawing near. It's a prominent motif in Hebrews. You see it in multiple places. We'll talk about a couple of them in a second. It's the idea. Here's this idea of drawing near to God. So drawing near in this context is this idea It's the idea of a new relationship with God. One that has been brought about by Christ's high priestly work. So this is, we can draw near to lots of things, but this is the idea of drawing near to God. A relationship with God. One that has been brought about by Christ's high priestly prayer. The work, this high priestly work, what is that? It's the work of mediation between us and God by Jesus in his own death and exaltation. Now, the definitive drawing near to God, the idea of drawing near to God, finds its expression in persistent, confident prayer. This idea of drawing near to God is this idea of persistent, confident prayer. Now for some of us, we've got to rethink the way we think about prayer. For some of us, it's this formal liturgy where we say big words and we try and so on and so forth. For others of us, it's, it's, it's flippantly throwing language and communication towards God. But this definitive drawing near to God is in persistent, confident prayer. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 10.22, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
I mean, listen to this. So what's, we're drawing near. What are we drawing near to? A throne of grace. What does he say? The, the ultimate source of grace. The sovereign source of grace. Another sermon. But here's what we see in this passage is that we draw near, surprise, surprise, because he first drew near to us. We draw near because he first drew near to us. Listen, he drew near when he spoke, and he drew nearest when he became flesh, when his son took on the body. He drew near to us. He drew near to us by giving us an eternal priest. So listen, prayer is simply talking to God. But hang on to that with me. Hang on to that for a second. It is, as someone said, prayer is irreducibly relational. Irreducibly relational. Now, here's the reality. We tend to think of prayer as I'm making declaration to God or I'm making petitions to God. I need this. I want God to do this. But it's irreducibly relational. But here's the key, and a couple things we're going to talk about here. Here's the key. First of all, we do not chat as peers. He is the creator and we are the creatures. We do not chat with God as though we're peers. You know, like that song, I am a friend of God, right? You know that song? All right. That's true. By God's grace, that's true. But we're still not peers. Friends does not necessarily equal peers. I could be a friend to my child, but he is still not my peer. Instead, he, he alone extends the invitation to interact. He alone has made it possible for us to draw near. He alone is the one that says, you are welcome to speak to me. We don't get to speak to him because we want to speak to him. We don't get to speak to him because we've done enough to speak to him. We speak to him only because he has invited us to speak to him. And not only has he invited us, but he made the way possible for us to speak to him. And that's part of the implication I want you to see in this passage. But here's the deal. For many of us, prayer is simply that. I've got to talk to God. Just talk to God. I've even seen this in myself as I'm trying to teach my kids prayer. Well, just talk to God. Tell him what's on your mind. Now, now that's not terrible, but listen. Prayer, and I'm going to repeat this, prayer is more thoroughly understood as responding to the one who has initiated conversation with us. Prayer is more thoroughly understood as responding to the one, be a capital O, who has initiated conversation with us. He spoke First, to quote, this is not a conversation we start, 
but a relationship into, into which we've been drawn. Continuing on this quote, our asking and pleading and requesting, listen to this, originates not from our emptiness, but His fullness. Prayer doesn't begin with our needs, but begins with His bounty. Prayer, listen to this, is the glad response from the bride in a joyfully submitted relation, submissive relationship with her groom, responding to his sacrificial and life-giving initiatives. Let me say that again. Quoting, Prayer is the glad response from the bride in a joyfully submissive relationship with her groom, responding to his sacrificial and life-giving initiatives. Prayer drawing near is not born out of, should not be born out of our emptiness, but out of his fullness. We'll talk about that more in a second. And so it's not just, oh God, I need you to give me this. It's, oh God, you have drawn me out of darkness to see who you really are. You have filled me with all I need through your spirit and because of the gospel. You see how that's different? Like, do you see how that prayer, that, that coming out of our heart is different than just, oh, I feel this need right now, so let me go to God. Listen, a few implications of this. Maybe if we prayed more concerning his bounty and his fullness, I would dare to say we probably wouldn't ask for much of the things that we ask for. It would at least curve our desires. Or maybe we would ask for more things that would be in keeping with his bounty and his fullness, such things like greater humility, repentance, a stronger faith. Or maybe we would find the grace of joy everlasting if we would start our prayers in the midst of remembering and gazing upon His glory. Listen, true gospel-driven, word-informed prayer comes from, is a response to His bounty and His fullness. Oh my gosh, that's who God is. Let me pray. Let me speak to you. You you understand that out of His fullness, His bounty, His glory, came His boundless mercy that would save us and make drawing near to Him possible. It's out of the fullness, out of His fullness, that mercy came through the cross and made a pathway to His ear. It's out of His fullness, His bounty, that we have a high priest who mediates for us eternally. And so I would 
command you this morning. Draw near to his ear. I almost like hate to shift gears here, but I just, it's just, I think we would be remiss if we didn't. Just because his ear is open to us through the blood of Jesus doesn't mean that functionally we get to enjoy his ear no matter what. See, drawing near to sin draws us away from his ear. Drawing near to sin draws us away from his ear. Oh, but I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. That's why I get his ear no matter what. I don't think it works that way. I want to give you rather quickly, there's this list, right? could be uh, almost endless. I'll give you six. Six things that will draw you away from his ear. Indeed, these things, the Bible tells us that the Lord even turns his ear away from us. These are real warnings. These are realities that all of us often, and for many of us, some of them we've been struggling with and living in this realm for years, and we wonder why. We seem to be spinning our wheels in our walk with the Lord. Number one, a hardened heart. And there's a sense in which a hardened heart is a part of all of these things. I mean, sinfulness is born out of a hardened heart. There's certainly different degrees of hardness to our hearts. But very quickly here, Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another every day, so long, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what's amazing about that verse particularly? Same thing I brought up, I think, last week, is that if you're in sin, like the, the purpose of this is that if you're in sin, you're going to be deceived by your sin. That's why you need other people outside of your sin situation to come along and say, I think you're sinning. That's the whole point. And here's the deal. You're not going to be like, oh, I am. Thank goodness you've told me. It's probably going to be more like, no, I'm not. I'm not sinning. Well, duh, you would respond that way because you're deceived. That's where you and I should pray lots for humility. Listen, a hardened heart can certainly still pray. They can speak words to God. And when I say still pray, I don't mean like necessarily gospel-driven, word-informed prayer that's a response to God's word. What I mean is this, if you have a hardened heart, you're praying in response to your hardness. But a hardened heart, again, does not pray the right prayer. A hardened heart does not pray for the things of God. A hardened heart is not praying to draw near to God's ear because he or she loves God. A hardened heart is more in love with himself. Reminded of a scene from the movie The Greatest Showman where P.T. Barnum is clearly falling in love with another woman, and then him and his wife are having this moment of, and I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but having this moment of where she's leaving him, 
So that might have ruined some of it, but oh well. And he says, I'm not in love with her. And his wife looks at him and says, I know you're not. And you're not in love with me either. You're in love with yourself. You see, a hardened heart can't pray in such a way that is in love with the things of God. Because a hardened heart pulls on God's ear to get God to do what they want for their own love of self. A hardened heart. Let's move on. Selfish motives. Selfish motives. 1 John 5, 14-15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Similar to the hardened heart, God does not hear your selfishly motivated prayers. I want, I just think about this. I wonder how many times even our own prayers for holiness are selfishly motivated. Like, I want to be holy. Why? Because I want to look holy. Because I want to earn God's favor, because I want others to think highly about me. Number three, not responding to Scripture. Surprise, surprise. Not responding to God's voice. Proverbs 28, verse 9. Listen to this. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So we turn our ears from hearing his voice. Our prayers become an abomination. Have you ever stopped and considered this question? Am I right now turning a deaf ear to anything that God has said in His Word? Am I right now turning a deaf ear to anything God has said in His Word? I'm certain there are things that I'm not aware of. Let's just at least begin with the things that we're aware of. But could it also be that others are trying to make us aware of it? But I'm just going to remain deaf to it. Your prayers are an abomination. I know, that's dreadfully encouraging. Next, unforgiving hearts. Unforgiving hearts. Again, sin that draws us away from the ear of God and even turns His ear from us. Unforgiving hearts. Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Listen, if you do not have a posture of forgiveness, and usually the way that looks like is this. A lack of a posture of forgiveness looks like this. Living in a posture of bitterness, holding grudges, and so on. If that's the reality in your life, if you find yourself bringing up things from the past against people, do you understand that the Lord is not hearing your prayers? 
I'd imagine he will hear the prayer of God, please help me with my bitterness. This one particularly has a very past component, a very like length of time component to it. And I wonder if for some of us, this is why we've not grown in the Lord at all for years or not grown very much. It's because we stand with grudges and bitterness Next one, unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Psalm 66, verse 18. He says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I would have cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for the way the psalmist wrote this, the way God had the psalmist write this, because there is a, a, a fundamental and a very distinct difference between cherishing iniquity and being repentant of iniquity, right? To be aware of it and walking in repentance. But cherished iniquity. What's it look like to cherish iniquity? Well, let's talk, I think it's helpful to talk about idolatry. Something that you're holding on to and won't let go through repentance and faith. Something that you won't let go of. Now, now here's, here's the danger, because if you tie this back to the Hebrews passage on the deceitfulness of sin, right, and being deceived, is that you could be holding on to something that is sin, but you're deceived by your sin, and, and you think that it's actually not sin, but you're holding on to it. And so when a brother or sister comes along and say, hey, I think that you're sinning here, the response should be, I hope not, but let me consider it. Take me to the Scriptures. Pray for me. Help me see it. Listen, our prayers, here's the idea. I'm cherishing something that I cannot have, and then we somehow think that God is still listening to our prayers. And see, here's the deal. When you cherish iniquity, it's directly in opposition to cherishing the Lord. What you're saying with your cherishing of iniquity is that the delight in my, this iniquity that I'm cherishing so much is much more glorious than God, than my delight in God. And you understand how utter ridiculous that is. Again, our prayers, if we're going to not cherish iniquity and so be heard by God, our prayers must always be bathed in repentance and faith. They must always be bathed in humility. Our, our prayers, we must strive to ask God to make us humble so that our prayers are bathed and soaked and come from a posture of humility. For example, Lord, if there be any iniquity in my heart, please purge it from me so that you might hear my voice. Whether you say those words or not, when you speak to God, 
Whether it's the, the passing thought driving down the road, or it's the meal, the prayer before your meal, or before you get up in the morning, well, well, before you get out of bed in the morning. Uh, I don't mean before you wake up. That would be weird. Uh, but after you wake up, and before you get out of bed, and you're praying, do you have this posture of, Lord, if there be any iniquity in me, please reveal it to me. Listen, many of our unconfessed sin, here's the, the danger, much of our unconfessed sin, our cherishing of iniquity, doesn't, isn't the cherishing of something that you should not love. It actually comes from cherishing something that you should love, but you love it more than you love God. And the cherishing of that iniquity rules your emotions, it rules your thoughts, your actions, it rules how you relate to other people. It rules your prayers. Just as a, a positive in the midst of a lot of negative, do you understand how gracious of a thing it is for God to not answer these prayers? The prayers that are born out of a cherishing of iniquity. Do you imagine? I, I mean, sometimes God lets you have it. Sometimes God goes, okay, that's what you want. You're cherishing something in your iniquity. You're cherishing an iniquity. You're, you are loving that sinfulness and you're not listening to my voice and to the body around you. You're not listening. I'm going to let you have it. Unconfessed sin. Cherishing iniquity. Next one, doubt. 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 I'm going to nuance this one pretty carefully because there's a lot of bad teaching. But James 1, 5-7, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. I love James. I would love to preach through James. And that's not a foreshadow for the fall. Okay. And maybe. But. Here's just my careful caveat. This is not a warrant for the heresy that if you have enough faith, you can force God's hand. We don't think that's what James is teaching here. It's a common in many churches, even in this area. If you just have the right enough faith, if you just say the right words, you can bind God's hand and get what you want. But here's the, here's the question. Here's kind of the, the point I want you to drive home with this very quickly. Why would you ask God for anything if you had no faith that He could or would do it? Why? Just genuinely. I'm not saying like that in a rhetorical sense. Why? Genuinely. Why would you do that? Why would you pray if you didn't believe He could actually do it? You would only ask because it's the religious exercise you do. And if it's just the religious exercise you do, then it's not a prayer from faith. And we know that God is not pleased with heartless religious exercise. That's why the doubt thing is such a big deal. Now listen, I, I get it. You go, God, I, I believe you can do this, but like, 
and I think we should, in every moment like that, right, th- I think we all have a measure of doubting in our minds. Is the Lord, right, there's, it's like the serpent in the garden, and we're sitting there going, but I, the Lord might withhold this from me. The Lord may not be doing what is good for me. There might be something else that I need to go secure that God is not going to give me, and that's always in the back of our mind. And I, I, I'm telling you, listen, confess it. Name it. Confess it. Repent for it. Ask God to take it away. God will hear that prayer. Here's what I want you to see. This list of six, I said it could be endless. There are real things. These are real things that hinder our gracious opportunity to enjoy Jesus through having the ear of God. And some of us just, we don't, this is why we as a church, part of why we as a church, talk about repentance and faith all the time. I hear churches talk about prayer and having all this power and enjoying God. And, but no talk about the things that hinder that. What are you doing? You're setting up for people an expectation and a hopefulness for something that's not going to be theirs to have. These are things that hinder our gracious opportunity to enjoy Jesus through having the ear of God. The last thing I want you to see is this. Draw near because he is able to save to the uttermost. Draw near. Why? Why? Because you have faith that he is able to save completely, completely. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let's work through this a little bit. Because of Jesus' eternal priesthood, that's, that's the consequently. It's his eternal priest, the eternality reality of his priesthood. What do I mean by that? The fact that his priesthood is eternal without term limits. Consequently, because of that, he is able to save to the uttermost. This is what he means by consequently. Remember what he has already said. Remember what we have already said. We speak to God because He has first spoken to us. Our prayer, our drawing near, is not out of nowhere. Our prayer, our drawing near in this passage, is out of response to His saving work. His eternal saving work. Our drawing near comes out of that, as a response to that, because of that. Let me quote, its origin, prayer, its origin is first in adoration and only later in asking. Our our drawing near comes because He is able to save to the uttermost. Why would you draw near otherwise? I quoted this earlier this week, prayer is a reflex to the grace He gives to the sinner He saves. 
this grace of this eternal priesthood and the saving to the uttermost. We draw near. Now, I think it's important that we talk for a second here about this idea of be able to, because I, I think if we're not careful, we'll misunderstand that. It does not denote a mere possibility. The idea of be able to, that God is, could possibly do this. Significantly, you have to look back on this same phrase in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, verse 7. It says this, In the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, well, yeah, there you go, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was what? Able to do what? To save him from death. And he was heard because of his what? His reference. Important note there. But he says what? He, to him who is able to save him from death. It's not that this saving is conditioned upon our drawing near, but instead he means that he has the power to save. That he has the ability, the might, the means to save. But not simply the power to save, but to save completely, forever. And he has the power to do this. That's his point. It's an inference drawn from Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest, what? Forever. After the order of Melchizedek, he is speaking of this Christ who is to come. And the writer of Hebrews asserts emphatically that Jesus' capacity for effectively acting on behalf of his people is unlimited. He has no term limit in his mediation. Did you hear that? Jesus, here, here, let me work this out for us. Jesus has dealt with your eternal separation from the Father once and for all. Finished. Complete. And He mediates this single and sufficient sacrifice. He mediates it. He is the one in between the sacrifice and the people of God and God. And He mediates this sacrifice between the two. And His term limit is without end. He mediates this forever. This covenant that was sealed in His blood, He mediates forever. The people who believe in that are the ones who draw near to Him. Why would you not? Why would you not? Do you think something else is more delightful? Here's why this means so much, at least part of why it means so much. We were created for eternity. All of us. We were created to live in unchanging constancy. We were created to live in unchanging, uninterrupted, eternal relationship with the Father. There was to be no death, only flourishing of life. But we sinned and brokenness entered the world, right? Death entered the world. Change 
bad change entered the world, and now because of our brokenness, death would be required as payment. So year after year, the priests would offer intercession on behalf of the people. They would mediate the covenant on behalf of the people. They would make sacrifices. They would bring death upon a lamb and offer prayers so that the people could be near to God. But the reality was this. Year after year, priests would change. New sacrifices required. You understand that they would tie ropes to their legs and there would be bells around their robes as they walked into the Holy of Holies. Why would they do that? Because they were afraid that the sacrifice would not be accepted. That the mediatorial work of the priest would be void, would be ineffective, and that their drawing near to God would be stopped. There was this constant wonder. Will God accept our sacrifice? Will our way to God be available? You and I live in the midst of this same brokenness. The world around us is constantly changing. Sinfulness always changing. Same roots, different fruits. In our own hearts, one moment we're joyful, expectant, loving the Lord. In the next moment, we're in a rage because something isn't going our way. Worshiping something else. But God has created us with this innate longing for permanence, for something that's eternal and unchanging, and something that will not leave us. We were created with this. We have this innate purpose and need to dwell with something eternal. Let me tell you, Not only is our God eternal, we know that, but God has sent a priest that offered up not just any sacrifice, but His own life as a sacrifice. His own life. He could do this. Why? Because He was the spotless sacrifice. All these other priests had their own sins to deal with. Their lives would never have been acceptable before God as payment for you and I. But Jesus' life was perfect, and then He offered up His life as a sacrifice, and then listen to this, He mediates. He mediates that blood between us and His Father. He was the spotless Lamb, the righteousness. He was the unchanging holiness of God. And He was the always, never altering, faithful one in perfect relationship with God. He was. He then underwent the temporary break in relationship with the Father. What He says He turned His head from Him. What, what, he turns His ear from Him. so that you and I could draw near to Him. But not just draw near to Him today, not just draw near to Him tomorrow, but draw near to Him in permanent, 
eternal relationship. And Jesus sits permanently in the presence of God, making intercession as our unchanging priests. Now, whatever that intercession looks like, whatever that mediatorial work looks like, it looks like Jesus doing whatever necessary to ensure that he keeps and protects those whom God has saved. Now just pause for just a second. Does that make you want to draw near? We have God's ear because the Son of God, Jesus our Savior, has God's ear. Listen, the great purpose of prayer is not about us getting things from God, but about getting God Himself. Let me quote, Prayer is not content to only receive from God. Prayer must have God Himself. We don't know if I have real, genuine, gospel-driven, word-informed prayers. Are your prayers more about drawing near to Him in humble repentance and faith? Or is it more about sustaining the pace of your life? Prayer is about enjoying the nearness of God, the throne of grace. He stopped. He stooped down. He's turned his ear to his children washed in the blood of his son and has said, I am listening. Let me quote C.S. Lewis to you. Prayer, in the sense of petition, asking for things, is a small part of it. Confession and penitence are its threshold. Adoration, its sanctuary. The presence and vision and enjoyment of God, its bread and wine. Because of Jesus' eternal priesthood, we are able to draw near to the ear of God, not just today, but for all eternity. The presence and vision and enjoyment of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray for hearts that need pricked and goaded, that you would make that effective this morning. Father, that you would do that in their hearts, that you would, my own heart this morning, Father, that you would move me beyond prayers of selfishness and or even shallow prayers, or whatever the case may be, Father, that you would move me beyond doubt and such, and move our hearts 
to pray because we want to draw near to you, just simply because we want to see you, because we want to enjoy you, because we want to know that something eternal and unchanging is next to us in the midst of our broken and ever-changing world, including our own sinfulness. Help us to want to draw near to you in our prayers. And Father, if there's anyone here that, that does not know you, Father, that does not, like this, this idea of drawing near to you doesn't fall on their hearts like a rushing wind of fire and doesn't blow wind on the embers of their hearts. Father, may you reveal to them that their heart is lost and that you would begin to awaken their hearts, Father, this morning. That you would do that work, that you would show them that their faith in themselves can only go so far that they can never be righteous enough. They can never have it all together, but Father, your son Jesus did. And he died and took the payment for their sins. For my sins. We can trust in your saving work through your son Jesus. Father, spur in us a desire to draw near to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.